God has highly exalted him, name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Drew Wilkins. I'm a pastor on staff here, and it's a privilege to be able to say that as I'm pretty new. Um, But it's especially a privilege because I grew up in this church, and it's wonderful to have a history of a place and a context where I can come back into. Um, So thanks for having me here. It's good to be back, and it's good to be here. Um, I've heard from a few people just kind of wondering, and I've heard it expressed, hey, where's that guy that prayed several weeks back and then kind of vanished and disappeared? Um, Well, that's me, and I'm back again. Uh, Thank you for those of you who've been praying for me and my family. We have a three-month-old, Isaac, or Ike, who's been in, um, he spent two weeks in uh, Children's National in D.C. with COVID-19, and we had to be in isolation for that time, so that took us out of action pretty quickly. So thank you for your prayers. We got him back home about two weeks ago, and he is doing so well and so much better And it's been wonderful to be able to have the resources to take care of him and the support to take care of him. We'd also ask for your continued prayers because this coming Thursday, uh, he's got a big heart surgery coming. He has an AV canal defect and it'll be a uh, uh, massive surgery that'll have him out of commission for at least one, probably two weeks again. Um, We'll have some more flexibility as a family to care for him since it won't be an isolation thing. Um, But yeah, we've still got a lot going on. So we appreciate your prayers for that. Um, With that, I'm excited to dive into the text. I love the book of Philippians. It was really exciting to be able to come in and just hear the trajectory that the church is on and get an idea of the teaching that we've been doing and the ways um, that we're moving forward in it. And especially just to land in this idea of joyfulness in the gospel that Paul expresses through the book of Philippians. Um, writing to this church. It's important to remember, we can come to scripture and we can treat it um, as this holy, untouchable thing that can be, uh, you know, a little challenging to get into because it feels so much bigger than us, and it is. But it's also important to remember that this is God's word to us and for us. And so as we engage it, he's written it it to us and presented it to us in such a way that we can really grapple with it and that we can really walk through it in a way that gives us understanding and confidence and comfortableness in him. And so just as a brief overview, which doesn't of course do justice to it, I just wanna remind us that the book of Philippians is a letter written to a church in the middle of challenge um, that's encouraging both unity and growth in the midst of that challenge. Um, So far we've looked at the idea of the combination of love and knowledge that Paul, the author of the book, is asking for the Philippian believers, the church there, to be walking in. We've looked at how he's built up the idea of love itself and how God has played that out on our behalf. And we've kind of looked at some of these, uh, I like to think of it as the worst case scenarios. You know, Paul has been arrested. He's been separated from everyone. He's been tossed into jail. And yet the gospel rolls forward nonetheless. And in fact, God uses all of these worst case things to thwart evil, which one would think they would do, and actually accomplish his good in spite of them. And the boldness that comes through believers seeing how the gospel works even in the worst case scenario and how God sustains his people even there. 
We've looked at how it's held true in suffering. And then last week, we started in on what will continue this week, one of the most familiar, well-worn pages in most Bibles, uh, and for very good reasons. Uh, Pastor Harrison walked through the ways that because God made all of us with great diversity, and then because he saved us within all of our great diversity, that therefore our unity must come from something greater than our distinctives, whether that's race, our affinities, our nationality, our politics, our schools, our skin color, our areas of the country, our whatever. But it has to be found in that love of Christ that, that spreads over and covers over all of those things. And that knowing this, we must then be humbled in all of our distinctiveness, our distinctives, holding none of them above any others, but rather leveraging them into the service of all the others, which is what Jesus has done on our behalf. He, being the very nature of God, did not consider that a thing to be held onto or a thing to be, you know, wielded. But it was a thing that he laid down, becoming one of us. And it was actually his access point to reach us and to draw alongside us and to then pour himself out, living, dying, and living again and even now to serve even us. Our passage today, verses 9 through 11, highlights the rewards that God gave to Jesus for living in this perfect way, for fulfilling all of what mankind was originally created for, and then for accomplishing what we in our state of rebellion and brokenness and sin against God cannot do on our own. And I'm just gonna own up front, that's way too much to squeeze into one sermon. There are so many things in this passage and so many things here that honestly, we're just not gonna get to that would be wonderful to dive into. Um, instead, well, I want to pause for a second and consider when we look at who this Jesus was, what we do with that. Because God's response to Jesus, we have laid out here, and I'll read it for us again. God's response to Jesus' faithfulness is it says that therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as I considered how to lean into this this morning, um, just for my own self and my own heart, I'm, I just found myself thankful that this is included. Because to be honest, sometimes I don't really know what to do with all of who Jesus is, and I don't really know how to respond to all of who Jesus is. And so it's so helpful just to have this moment where God says, well, I'll tell you what I do with how Jesus is. <laughs> um, earlier in the year, well, I guess two years ago now, um, when the pandemic and the strength of it first started being understood, and there was the quarantine lockdown moment where everyone went back home, where everything kind of shut down. Um, I found myself working in my church um, where I was previously in North Carolina. Um, we were, uh, I I'd just built up the youth ministry. We'd finally had some momentum. We had some good programs that were coming up. I was starting to have relationships with students where we could actually speak at some good depth. Uh, and, then, and then we have to go home. And then we can't meet together. And that means we can no longer do games, which is kind of a community bonding thing for students where that actually pulls us in and gives us some shared experiences. And, and that's gone. 
Um, and then our presence, you know how it is. Anytime you're studying God's word, it's wonderful to be able to be together in the midst of that. And then, I mean, we all know, because this happened to all of us, that's gone. And so then anytime you're teaching, as any of the, the teachers uh, in our congregation can empathize with, the ability to actually be with someone and to look them in the eye, and, and not just through a screen, but just to be there, that is so important and so vital, and that's gone. And I found myself, um, as a pastor, thinking about how to minister to my students. Here's the thought that ran through my mind. No joke. I thought, oh no, all I have now is Jesus. <laughs> and, and we chuckle at that because it's funny. Uh, but it was also for me particularly revealing because I wasn't saying it ironically. I was thinking to myself, I don't have my program anymore. I don't have presence anymore. I don't have the dynamic just, you know, ability to be with someone and to be looking at God's word hand in hand and, and, and diving into it. That's, that's gone. All I have now to attract people, all I have now to draw people in, all I have now to equip, to build up, to do anything for my people is just Jesus. And I thought, that's not enough. <clears throat> and so I wanted to start here because I think that is often our problem and I think that this is one of the things that Paul speaks to because one of the reasons I think he builds up who Jesus is and he gives us God's reaction and God's satisfaction and God's celebration of him is because we can look at our suffering servant, one whose whole path to victory is a path downward, whose whole path to exaltation is a path of humiliation and we can go, oh no, he's not enough. All I have now is Jesus. And what our passage tells us, and really what God tells us, is he looks at us and he says, no. No, you may not have more than Jesus. You may not have other than Jesus. You may not have Jesus plus. Jesus is all you need, and here's why, because here's who he is. I'm going to read it again just because it's worthwhile at this point. Because he says, therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So our call here, our call is to bow to Jesus, which again, I know we talk about Jesus the king all the time. That language of bowing to Jesus is familiar and it's comfortable and it's stuff that we know already. But I think it also cuts to the very core of what it means to be a Christian and of what it means to follow Jesus. And honestly, I think that it cuts to the very core of what it means to be human because the truth is the, the main element of our experience is we don't want to bow to Jesus. I want Jesus plus, at least for my job in ministry, a, a killer youth program. I want Jesus and excellent events. I want Jesus and to be just the right amount of cool that people want to listen to me. I want Jesus and a great building. I want Jesus and a place that everybody wants to come back to after the pandemic. I want Jesus and, and I don't know, fill that in. What is that for you? 
And the way that Paul leans into this is not just an arbitrary explosion of, Jesus is really cool, let me tell you about it. But I think it actually walks through very beautifully a lot of what God calls us to because as we see God our Father's reaction to Jesus Christ, his son, the suffering servant in whom he is well pleased, this reaction should really detail a lot of our reaction as well. And I think it gives us an excellent place to evaluate our own hearts and know how to walk forward. So let's begin with that first part. Um, Verse nine says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. And I wanna begin there. What does it mean to bow to Jesus? It means to subject every name to his name. And again, I think this is one of the harder parts because this this becomes an identity issue. Have you ever had one of those moments where something that you counted on was taken away and suddenly you were kind of left going, oh no, what do I do? Who am I now? I mean, I just identified that one for me in one way. But Jesus demands our 100% in this. He demands all of who we are because if he is the risen, established king now sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, then we cannot give him our Sunday mornings and leave it there. We cannot give him just the churchy part of our hearts and leave it there. We have to give him our all. If you think through, if you ask, what are the areas of your heart or of your life where you feel threatened when they are taken away or challenged? And that is exactly what Jesus is asking for us. These things function as our armor. If you don't feel exposed or vulnerable in this, then you're probably doing your faith wrong. Jesus must be our only armor. Um, There's a poignant story in the life and ministry of Jesus where uh, it's a great it's just a culling moment. Jesus is building momentum and people are following him. If you look in Luke chapter nine, verses 57 through 62, um, you get the, the story tells where there's crowds that are starting to follow and people want in. And Jesus, who's never after the crowds, starts to say, all right, if you wanna follow me, here's what it'll take. Here's what it'll take. Here's what it'll take. And, and just look through this list. I'll read it for us. It says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You can just imagine like the passion and the commitment. Look at me, Jesus, I'm doing awesome. I'm gonna follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is asking for everything. Whether it's your family, whether it's your work, whether it's your job, whether it's your status in the community, whether it's how your friends think of you, whether it's the car you drive, whether it's, I, I don't know what it is for you. But God does. 
And if we're to follow the one whose name is above every name, he's asking you to take those things and to lay them down. To get a little bit more specific, um, Scott Sauls, a pastor in our denomination, recently said online, just a quick blurb, he said, if it is easier for people to guess my politics than to guess my religion, then politics has become my religion. If it is easier for someone to guess what kind of way you want to influence others around you than the God that you serve, then the influence that you're chasing has become the God that you serve. If it's easier for the people around you to guess whatever tribe it is that you might belong to or that you might love than the savior you follow, then that tribe functionally has become the savior that you follow. Again, this is an identity issue. The call in this is, as we subject every name to his, is to de-enmesh our theology with anything else. We cannot have Jesus plus. Like I said before, we cannot have Jesus plus an excellent youth program. We cannot have Jesus plus a shiny, happy, put-together family. We cannot have Jesus plus all the things that I think make me valuable. We cannot have Jesus plus my purity before I got married. We cannot have Jesus plus the consistency with which I attend church. We cannot have Jesus plus anything. We are called to lay all of those things at his foot. We have to de-enmesh our theology with our, our <laughs> just our personal pride with our history, we have to de-enmesh it from our patriotism, from our view of medicine, from our view of our community, from our view of anything else, and pull it apart and subject all of the plus back again to the Savior. This means that we have to refuse to vilify our tribal opponents, but instead we have to seek to honor and to build up and to understand their validity. This means we have to treat each other standing more on our unity under Christ than we do in our disunity of anything else. And again, I'll anchor that in with a few specifics, whether that's politics, whether that's race, whether that's just the person that you don't like that you're always around. Whether that's CRT, whether that's, I don't know what it is that when it gets said, starts to make you feel threatened. Subject that name to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because only in him will there be found life. Now, should we then lean into those things and understand and explore and absolutely, absolutely, but only, only when we are first and foremost rooted and grounded in him as our savior. Um, secondly, from verse 10, I believe that this calls us to continue on his path. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This idea of bowing the knee is not just a quick one-time Yes, I acknowledge it, and now I'm gonna get back to whatever it is that I was doing before. To bow the knee is to say, yes, I acknowledge your kingship and your rule over me, and now I will follow along in that wherever you would leave me, nonstop until the day I die, and then also forevermore afterwards. 
To bow the knee is a, it's not a beginning, it's the whole path. This gets played out beautifully in a story of Jesus' disciples themselves. And it's not just Jesus' disciples, but it's Jesus' disciples' mom. Um, You may be familiar with the story in Matthew 20, verses uh, 20 through 28. Um, Jesus is walking along, and you know, the disciples do this from time to time. They start to argue, well, you know, we're all doing pretty well. You're doing pretty well. You're doing pretty, but I'm doing really well. And Jesus has been having a lot of conversations with me. I want to stick really close with him. Let's do that. Hey, Jesus, don't you think I'm the best? Um, In this situation, it wasn't Jesus doing it, or it wasn't the disciples doing it. It was one of the disciples' mom doing it. It was uh, uh, James and John's mother. And she says, hey, uh, when you come into the power of your kingdom, can it be my kids that sit at your right hand and your left hand? And we often find ourselves thinking, okay, I can handle this path of humility, of humiliation, of leveraging all that I have and all of that I am for the goodness of those around me, even those for whom I am enemies and would find myself in opposition to. But once that's done, then it's my turn. Jesus, or James and John's mom says, it's great to be that they're serving with you, but when it's their time to rule, and Jesus looks back at her and at them and at the disciples and by God's grace at us too, and he says, essentially, nah, that's not how it works. The serving doesn't end. Like that's, that's the whole path. He says in verses 24 through 28, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the ransom for many. Because I I want you to, to come back to our passage again. You know, The path to honor God for Jesus was the path of humiliation. It was laying down. It was leveraging all that he has for the service of others. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and humiliated himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. And then we would think, okay, well, now that he's resurrected and ascended, where is he? Well, he's kicking it back next to God. He's washed his hands of all of his, you know, flesh and everything. And now he's just relaxing. But the ascended Jesus isn't. The ascended Jesus, now that he's sitting next to God, what is he doing? But he's got the Father's ear and he's advocating for us. He is the one who walks alongside us, laying down everything even now not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he still lives in human flesh. He still advocates for you and me beside the throne of the Lord. His path up wasn't just down and then up. It continues to be down. It continues to be the path of service. It continues to be the path of leadership. So when we bend the knee, when we bow the knee to our Lord and Savior, that means we press on in service. We press on in self-effacement and even humiliation, humbling ourselves to identify with the very people that we would least like to be identified with, that are least worthy of us to be identified with, because that's what our Savior has done. 
don't know if any of you have been watching the uh, series, The Mandalorian. It's wonderful. Um, one of my favorites, but it's about this guy who has a pretty rigid path of his ethics and his morality. And even when it's questions and even when it's challenged, a, a uh, phrase that his kin kind of repeat and echo to keep themselves steady is they say, this is the way. And, and I love the simplicity of that. This is the way. Because when we consider what is the path of Jesus, what, is it, what does it mean to bow the knee and to follow wherever he would lead? It means that continued path into humility, that continued path into service, and that never ends. At the very moment that we think, yes, I've paid my dues, now it's my turn. No, this is the way. You follow along in the direction that Jesus would have. Um, A great way to evaluate this is to test the fruit. What is the fruit of the things that are in your life? Is it building love for neighbor? Is it building compassion for those around you? Is it building empathy for those with whom you would most strongly disagree? Is it leading you to step away from all the things that would establish yourself and to draw alongside those who are weakest and most vulnerable around you? If not, there's a good chance you're off the path. That when Jesus says, this is the way, we veered. I'm going to lean into this a little bit more because the value of it is so deep and so strong. And Jesus follows up that section um, where he's talking to the disciples and telling them the different organization of leadership and who rules and who leads in his kingdom. With a Matthew chapter 21 through 24. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. Remember, after telling them you know, that you can recognize his followers by their fruit. Yeah, I'm going to back up. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. And then look at verse 21 and following. This is where it gets scary because he says, and again, this is Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I would pause on this because if we're to follow the one whose name is above every name, and yet we would occasionally find ourselves following a path that leads us not to love our neighbors, not to love our neighbor as ourselves, 
not to have compassion in our hearts, but to be building ourselves up or building our tribe up or building our party up or building ourselves, you know, whatever up. There's great, great things at risk, even your very soul. It's not just that Jesus is a king and we can follow him plus others. He is the king. And if we have divided allegiances and loyalties, we will find ourselves outside of even his kingdom. And there will be a great many surprises as to who is and who isn't. Jesus himself warns of this. So what is it that might bring you in those other ways, those other paths? Evaluate the sources in your life, and if they're not building empathy, if they're not building compassion, if they're not building a love for neighbor as self, if they're not building a love of God over and above all things, cut it out. Leave it behind, even if it costs you greatly. And finally, uh, verse 11 leads us to the confession of his lordship. It says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there are so many things to draw on here. Echoes of Isaiah, um, massive amounts of Old Testament prophecy that Paul is tying these words to to bring huge implications for who Jesus is and how we should follow him. Again, we can't get into all of that here. Um, but I would just say that this is the biting one because as there are those who follow and there are those who don't follow and even as there are, are those who think they're following but they are not, what this tells us is every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there are two situations where you confess that. There are those who confess saying, yes, Jesus, you are the way and I will follow you no matter what because what you are and who you are rings true through the whole of me and directs me back on your path and your design. You are my Lord, let me follow. And then there's the harsher, often challenging aspects of who Jesus is where to confess him as king is also to confess defeat. Where at the end of time and before him, we are all brought before our God and we have to say, yeah, you're the king and I hate it. You're the king and I don't want it. Oh no, now all I've got is Jesus. But even at that point, because that's my point where I have to pull up and say, shoot, I have abandoned it all, I'm on the wrong path. Well, this is where we have a God who does not allow our sin to get in the way. He says, I don't care how far off the path you've gone because everything about me I will leverage to build you up. I will lay down everything. I won't consider my equality with God a thing to be grasped, but I'll lay myself down and make myself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in your likeness, and then humbling myself even to the point of death, the death that you deserve, Drew, E.P., so that we might be brought home again, so that all of our sins might be covered and we might be brought back before our God who can look at us in that moment and see us not according to our own life, to our own things, to our own Jesus plus, but to see us only according to Jesus Christ, his son in whom he is well pleased. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we who have been the recipients of all of his humility and all of his grace who have left the path, who have lifted up so many things up above ourselves, who are ashamed of his name and would much rather establish whatever other name of identity we would want to be known by. We can say, yes, that was me, and he has thrown all of that down, and now I stand on nothing but his mercy. And that is exactly the place that we must be as his followers. That is the love of God on display for us. That is Jesus Christ laid down on our behalf. So listen, if this is one of the first times that you're hearing this or understanding this, what names do you hold above his? It's probably yours because I know mine is. Lay it down. Bend the knee and come to the one who doesn't push you down in order to build himself up, but lays himself down in order to build you up. And for those of us in the church who live our lives here in this message all the time, listen to me. Listen to Paul. Listen to the Lord. Search out the parts of your heart where you would say, oh no, now all I have is Jesus. And lay them down. Repent and rest again on the mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who even now, though you've known the way for ages, continues to lay himself down for you and to gently set you back in his place so that we might have life and life in him. Our problem is that we want more than just Jesus. God's provision for us is just to say, no, no, I have given you Jesus and he is everything that you need and more. And so our call is to bow to him by holding his name above every name, by continuing in his way and by confessing his lordship over all of life. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, even as we close here, well, God, we exalt you. Thank you for giving us reminders in your word of who you are. Thank you for showing us, Father, how you respond to your son so that we might then retrain our hearts again and again and again to be brought back to humble ourselves before him, even as he has humbled himself before you. so that we might not end up in a hollow faith that builds ourselves up, but so that we also might be found in that merciful place of confessing, yeah, all I have is Jesus. And so that from that place, Lord, before your throne, we might turn towards you and we might crown you as the king of our lives. Lord, of course we confess how we often try to put that crown on our own head. And yet, Lord, we praise you that you kindly, lovingly, gently take it off and take it back and bring us back home to you once more. And it's in your name that we pray all of these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>